SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome to our second hour of a football Friday on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, Channel 159, the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM. And all across the SportsGrid network, I am Ben Stevens. It is a football Friday, but in this second hour, we'll recap a little action around the association. What a game. (laughs) Not too far away from us here in Midtown Manhattan at Madison Square Garden last night. Bing freaking Bong. We'll get into that game in just a couple of moments between the Knicks and the Celtics. A couple of other recaps for you as well. Also, a historic weekend here in the Empire State. In New York State, online mobile sports wagering gets put into action tomorrow on a Saturday entering week 18 of the NFL, the regular season finale in the college football playoff national championship on Monday night. FanDuel's trading director, John Sheeran, will join us to talk about it all, what you can expect, and maybe where the edges are to be had for NFL Week 18. And then Sports Grid's college football analyst, the man you know as Lisey's Leans. Joe Lisey joins us to look at the CFP national title. Alabama and Georgia, a rematch of the SEC title game now with a national championship at stake. Props you need to know, the breakdowns you need to know, key matchups and all the X's and O's perspective to get you set for Monday night at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana, between Alabama and Georgia. But first, as I mentioned, not far away from us here in Midtown Manhattan, I'm so excited my voice just cracked. Bing freaking bong one more time. The Knicks coming back from down 25 points against the Boston Celtics last night at Madison Square Garden. And R.J. Barrett, banked in buzzer beater, gives the New York Knicks a 108-105 to win over Boston. Now, New York was down by as many as 25 points late in the first half, as many as 20 points in the third quarter as well. But in the final seconds, the Knicks come back. R.J. Barrett banks in a three at the buzzer to set the Garden ablaze for a 108-105 win. Now, a little bit of history last night at Madison Square Garden pointed out to us by our producer, John Shames, here on the morning after, who is actually a Boston Celtics fan. So this was bold of John to share this in the group chat this morning. The Knicks in the past 25 seasons prior to last night were just one in 229 in their record overall in games when they trailed by 25 or more points. Let me say that again. One in 229 in the last 25 five seasons last night the comeback victory for new york just the second win new york has had in the last 25 years went down by at least 25 points at a certain point of an nba basketball game so the knicks come back to win and they win outright as a one and a half point underdog at home at msg the knicks trending in a more positive direction here in the new year they have won five of their last seven games and although rj barrett was the one to set madison square garden on fire last night with that banked-in buzzer-beater three for the victory, Evan Fournier carried that comeback. 41 points, eight boards, 10 of 14 from three was Evan Fournier. His game-best plus 18, the best plus-minus on either side last night. Now, Boston was a favorite last night, a slight favorite on the road at MSG. Just 11-13 against the spread 
as a favorite this year, not covering by an average margin of 3.3 points per game. The total of 208 goes over. Just the second Nick over in the last seven games. Boston has gone over in three of their last four. Something to know is these two teams will go Garden to TD Garden on Saturday night between the Celtics and the Knicks. As we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here to the second hour of the final football Friday of the NFL regular season right here on Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. You are listening on Sirius XM Channel 159, the Mightier 1090 out on the West Coast in all of our wonderful radio affiliates. A football Friday for sure, but also a look back in the action on a Thursday night in the NBA. So again, the Knicks, a 108-105 win in a dramatic game-winning buzzer-beater three-pointer from R.J. Barrett. The first meeting at Madison Square Garden between these two on the opening night of the NBA season for both teams was a double overtime victory for the Knicks. How about a buzzer-beater last night? R.J. Barrett banks in a three as the clocks hit triple zero. A great win for the Knicks, and they will rematch each other Tomorrow, Saturday night at TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. By the way, now the Knicks have a better record straight up at 19 and 20 overall than do the Boston Celtics at 18 and 21. The Seas have lost five of their last seven, trying to turn the tide around tomorrow against these very Knicks back home in Boston. Now, as we go through the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, now the first team in the NBA to reach the 30-win plateau. They beat the Clippers last night at home in the Valley of the Sun, 106-89. Phoenix covering as a double-digit favorite, 10.5 points in the Suns' favor. They covered that number last night against L.A. Phoenix has now won three straight games, four of their last five, and those 30 wins, part of the best record in the entire NBA. Phoenix is 30-8 straight up because Golden State lost last night on the road to New Orleans in the second leg of a back-to-back without Steph Curry or Draymond Green. Phoenix is 30-8, Golden State 29-9. Now, Phoenix was on an 18-game winning streak through the good first portion of this NBA season. Since then, they've won 14 of their last 18. They have won 9 of their last 12, 4 of their last 5, and 3 straight as well. Phoenix has also been booked as a favorite in 34 of their 38 games this season, they are 19 and 15 against the number as a favorite. Pretty impressive stuff. Meanwhile, on the other side for the Clippers, still playing without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They were an underdog now for the sixth time in the last seven games, only covering in three of those six. That's how things are going to look for the Clippers until PG gets back, which is going to be some time. John Sheeran makes his return to the morning after. Coming up on the other side of the break here on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A football Friday on the morning after on SportsGrid is always exciting. Made even more exciting entering the final week of the regular season across the National Football League. And doubly more exciting when here in New York State, where I currently reside, online sports wagering becomes legal and put into place this weekend. In fact, tomorrow... For week 18, the college football playoff national championship on Monday night. And here on the morning after on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 159, 
we get you set for it all. I am Ben Stevens, now very pleased to welcome back onto the show. It is the Director of Training at the FanDuel Sportsbook, John Sheeran. John, thank you for joining us. A very exciting weekend, I am sure, for you. We are glad to have your expertise here on a Football Friday on TMA. Good to be back, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, obviously a very exciting weekend for uh, sports bettors all over the state of New York. It's uh, exciting for us to get up and running tomorrow morning, and uh, looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming, for sure. A long time coming, but you guys are set and ready to go. So, John, what can people expect come tomorrow morning with the FanDuel Sportsbook? Yeah, look, I think it's a really good product. Um, I, I love our SGP product, which will uh, be available to New Yorkers for the first time. Those of you that haven't traveled to New Jersey, that is. Uh, it's <laughs> just a recreational product that allows you to get involved in a deeper level of you know, the core sports. NBA in particular is... A really exciting proposition i think and, and obviously with football uh in college coming to the culmination of the national championship game on monday we're excited for that and and the postseason uh it's a tricky slate this week in the nfl i think i'd forgive anybody for taking a bit of a pass at that but uh it really means business from there on in the legislation john like you mentioned has been in place for a while what does the process look like in the last couple of months to get us to where we are right now and it being put into practice tomorrow morning yeah, I mean, a lot of getting ready. Um, we've obviously been live in New York in retail for nearly three years at this stage uh, in a bricks and mortar at the racetrack. Um, so uh, we're used to dealing with New York and what it looks like, but obviously on a completely different scale. We expect 99% of the volume to come uh, more than that, maybe 99.9 to come via the uh, mobile service and the website. So uh, a lot of uh, readiness and getting prepped and, and making sure the product is uh on par with all the other states where we've been successful so far. So, John, you mentioned it. Getting ready for the final weekend of the regular season in the NFL. A tricky slate at times because you have to figure out who's motivated, who's playing for what, who might already be making their golf trip plans for the following weekend. So, I think that is on full display in the first game that we have of a doubleheader tomorrow on a Saturday to begin NFL weekend number 18. The Kansas City Chiefs, an 11-and-a-half-point favorite against the Denver Broncos. John, from a sportsbook perspective, what goes into setting these often lofty spreads when you know one side is playing for something and the other one doesn't have much at stake? Yeah, this weekend has been nothing short of a nightmare. I'm not looking for sympathy, Ben. <laughs> it's been the same way for all of the betters out there. It's really difficult to stay across uh, motivation, the impact of the game. Uh, it's complicated in one division over or one conference over the other, more complicated. Um, but it's really difficult then to add COVID issues on top. And we've seen, obviously, um, widespread issues there as well leading into the weekend. You know, you've got Lafleur and the Packers muddying the water about how long the starters are going to be on the field when maybe we would, wouldn't have expected them to play at all. Um, I agree with their sentiments. It's a long rest, three weeks, and to get rid of any rust, I think they've suffered from that in the past. So it makes sense, but it makes it really difficult in setting lines in all of these games uh, when there's other factors outside of the straight-up ratings that we have and making the adjustments that we need from a week-to-week -week basis. Yeah, John, you mentioned those ratings, all based on models, algorithms, numbers, all of that big stuff in place. And often we tell people, back, bake, uh, base your handicapping on those trends, on those numbers. Make sure you're doing your prep. But when it comes to this weekend, how much do you add motivation into a handicap as maybe opposed to week six of the NFL season? 
it's a lot of guesswork, Ben. There's no one out there will be able to tell you exactly what motivation is worth. Um, we've done some analysis over previous final uh, weeks of the regulation uh, season, a regular season, and effectively all that tells you is that motivation matters. Um, you know, by how much is, is debatable, uh, and there's a lot of guesswork that goes into, you know, if the Chiefs needed to win, uh, should their line move from minus 9 to minus 11, like we've seen it go in the last day or so. So it's very difficult to assess exactly what that's worth and quantify it. I think more often than not, it's probably overplayed, particularly with some of the weaker teams who tend to play with a bit of freedom once there's kind of nothing left to play for, although many of them have had nothing le left to play for for weeks at this stage. John, I'm glad that you mentioned the game between the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. The party line for the Packers this week is they are going to Detroit to win a football game. Their starters will play not just a quarter or a half, says head coach Matt LaFleur, but the entire game against the Lions. Yet the spread for the best team in the NFL right now is only three and a half in favor of Green Bay. Sure, on the road in Detroit, but how much are you blending what the Packers actually have to play for with what Matt LaFleur is saying based on that spread? Yeah, this is not the Green Bay Packers playing a full game with the starters at full tilt. I mean, that'd be reckless. Um, work up a lather, <laughs> uh, you know, avoid some rust. Uh, sure, absolutely, that makes sense. I've got no issue with that. Uh, I don't think we expect the starters to play any more, certainly any more than the first half. Uh, I think if they do, they go through the motions. If you go through, through the motions in the NFL, it usually ends in disaster with injuries. I think you know, you're know you better off going full tilt. So I think we'll see the Packers starter for at least the first half, maybe even just a little bit short of that. Uh, and that's why the line is three and a half. If we thought the start, the starters were going to play full tilt the entire game, uh, this line will be well north of a touchdown. Yeah, and the fighting Dan Campbells, the Lions, one of the best cover percentages in the NFL this year, 10 and 6 against the spread. Another lofty spread for a team that needs to win to clinch a postseason berth, the Indianapolis Colts, laying 14 and a half points right now, John, on FanDuel against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags have nothing to play for. They are in last place in the NFL. Indianapolis needs a playoff berth. How would you advise the casual sports bettors and many of them taking part this weekend in NFL to approach these more than two touchdown spreads this weekend? The same way as always, with a, a bit of concern and trepidation, it's uh, difficult to cover these big numbers in the NFL, as we all know, even against the weaker teams. The gap between the best and the worst is not as far, uh, not as exaggerated as you might expect. Uh, so I think it's one to be mindful of. I do think the Colts are obviously, by far and away, a much better football team than Jacksonville. Jacksonville looked to have down tools in the last couple of weeks in particular. Uh, and with Jonathan Taylor heavily motivated to break lots of records and still potentially have a run at the MVP, literally, uh, I, I still think you'll see a full effort from the Colts. Uh, I think there's a decent chance for a backdoor cover, though, for Jacksonville late in the game. So I'd be careful with that game. Indianapolis has not won in Jacksonville since the 2014 season. John, it's been a while, but you know me. A college football fan, first and foremost. Monday night, the national championship game, an SEC title game rematch between Alabama and Georgia. In that SEC championship, Alabama was a six-and-a-half-point underdog and won outright. It was only the second time in the past five years Bama was booked as a dog. Bama, a dog once again for the national championship game, getting three points from Georgia. What went into the process there to make Georgia a favorite once again? 
Yeah, I mean, going into the game, like you said, it was almost a touchdown. Our power ratings have Georgia um, going into that game over a six-point favorite uh, over Alabama. We've made an adjustment. We're at three right now. That's a pretty big adjustment off one game. We saw a super impressive performance from Georgia against Michigan in the semifinal. Um, so for that reason, I think the, the line is justified at where it is. But everybody's betting Alabama. Uh, I looked at it yesterday with 16,500 money line uh, wages on Alabama and 600 on Georgia. So uh, we'll want Georgia pretty heavily. I lean Alabama myself personally, but I think the number, number is understandable when you weigh up what it was going into the SEC championship game. John Sheeran's going to be having a couple of go dogs on Monday night. John Sheeran, the director of trading at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and we will talk again very, very soon. More of the morning after Thank on the other guys. side of the break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. The final football Friday of the NFL regular season on the morning after right here on SportsGrid. Sirius XM Channel 159 and all across the SportsGrid network. We will have more football Fridays about the National Football League. Deep into the postseason, the run for a Lombardi Trophy in the Super Bowl. But it is actually the final football Friday of the college football season. Just one more game. Monday night. The national championship of the college football playoff. Number one, Alabama taking on number three, Georgia. Indianapolis, Indiana. Inside Lucas Oil Stadium, the Tide and the Dogs meeting one more time. So right here, right now, we get you set for everything you need to know entering Monday night in Indianapolis. And joining me to do just that, it is Sports Grid's very own college football analyst, Joe Lisi. The final football Friday, Joe, we are together throughout this college football season. Let's make it a great one and break down the CFP national title. Oh, the calm before the storm, Ben. It's the most depressing and exciting time of the year. Bowl season has culminated, and now we have the national championship on the horizon Monday night. Doesn't get better than this, and Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me. Is this considered, though, I'm curious, a Big Ten tweet? The fact that we're playing in Lucas Oil Stadium where they play the Big Ten championship game, baby? Joe, you know me way too well. Yes, I would consider it slightly a Big Ten tweet, at least a Big Ten stadium, but two very non-Big Ten teams coming from the Southeastern Conference. In fact, a rematch of that SEC championship game just over a month ago, the first weekend of December in Atlanta, Georgia, between Alabama and Georgia. And the Dogs were a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, Joe Lisi. Now a three-point favorite once again against Alabama. We just heard from the director of training at the FanDuel Sportsbook, John Sheeran, why this number is at three. Lisi, what do you make of Alabama being an underdog one final time? Yeah, it's very difficult to knock off a team in terms of a rematch situation two times over the last four or five weeks. So I think that's what you're seeing in terms of Georgia in this matchup, being the favorite in terms of a three-point spread. A lot of pressure on Kirby Smart, as we know, 0-4 against Nick Saban. And I don't think that Georgia 
Could can, can or can get into a shootout with Bryce Young in this ball game. I think they lose this ball game by double digits if that's the game plan going in with Stetson Bennett and this offense. Even though they dominated Michigan in terms of the semifinal playoff game, I think they need a more methodical approach to knock off the Alabama Crimson Tide. They need to sustain drives keep Bryce Young on the off on the sidelines in this ball game and from a defensive perspective I don't think they could play a lot of man-to-man coverage going up against Jamison Williams and those wide receivers Slade Bolden Billingsley Latu I think it's a, it's just a scheme and a game plan where I think Georgia gets blown out in that perspective so I lean to Georgia here I like Georgia to win this ball game I think it's you know comes down to maybe a one score game heading into the fourth quarter Georgia does a Able to tack one on late and win this ball game anywhere from seven to ten points. That being said, I do feel that this is an under 52 and a half because Georgia needs to keep Bryce Young in front of them and keep him on the mm-hmm. sidelines. Other if they don't do that, Ben, I think it's lights out. I think it's an under in this ball game. Joe, normally from a betting perspective, oftentimes when you look at a spread in correlation to a total, if an underdog, even a short underdog is going to win, that often leads you to an under of the game total. I think it's the complete opposite here. If Georgia is going to win and cover that field goal spread at the moment, it would be an under because what the dogs do better than anybody else in college football, maybe in the past 10 years, play defense a dominant defense the top scoring defense in the country but you mentioned that idea of a shootout and that's what we saw just over a month ago in Atlanta in the SEC championship game Alabama did the unthinkable we were not sure Joe Lisi if anybody could put up three touchdowns against UGA let alone 41 points and throw the ball for more than 420 yards. Well, that's what Bryce Young, the Heisman winner, and his Alabama Crimson Tide offense did in winning 41-24 to in the SEC championship game. Alabama winning outright as a six-and-a-half-point underdog. The over-under that day of 48 and a hook going way over. Bama almost went over by themselves. So, Joe, when you look back at the SEC title game from about a month ago... Who do you think needs to make more of an adjustment? And what do you think that adjustment mainly needs to be? Yeah, I think it's Georgia and and both offensively and defensively. And what I mean is if you look at the SEC championship game, game, Ben, Georgia jumped up 10-0 with Stetson Bennett. They tried to push tempo on Bryce Young. And Alabama said, no problem. We could do that no, you know, any day of the week. We they we fell behind 10 to nothing. Jamison Williams gets the big touchdown reception, and then it's game on. Georgia just did not have the consistency in that type of approach to go toe-to-toe with the Heisman Trophy winner. I think when you look at this matchup, it's a little bit different in the sense of you look to run Zamir White, you look to run James Cook, you even throw McIntosh in there in terms of three fresh backs going up against the front seven of Alabama. Sustained drives, five or six minutes, keep Bryce Young on the sidelines, force him to be cold in that type of atmosphere, force from a defensive perspective, short to intermediate throws. Then remember, in that first ball game yeah. against uh, Georgia, the concern for Alabama was the offensive line, right? In the Iron Bowl, Bryce Young got sacked seven times. Georgia and Kirby Smart brought pressure, thinking that they could get to Bryce Young. They couldn't do it. The offensive line held up, and then that left the cornerbacks on one-on-one coverage on those wide receivers. That's the difference. I think they have to take a recipe out of what Cincinnati did, force them to become patient, 
hold them to field goals and not touchdowns and red zone opportunities, and that's how you pull this ball game out. Also, the fact that Mechie's not involved in this ball game that's a huge loss yeah. to the Alabama wide receiver court. Yeah, and John Mechie the third in that SEC championship game, 97 yards receiving and a touchdown. It paled in comparison to Jamison Williams, who had seven grabs, 184 yards, and two scores, but still a huge component of that Alabama passing attack. So, Joe, you mentioned it. It's very difficult to beat a team, especially as good as Georgia is, twice in about a month span. Well, it's also hard to beat Nick Saban if you used to work for him. Only one former assistant coach under Saban has beat the skipper in Alabama. And that happened earlier this year when Texas A&M pulled off the upset outright in College Station against Alabama. Kirby Smart used to be the defensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa, and he has faced his former boss four previous times. He is 0-4. You can look at these games. Go back to the 2017 season, the 2018 National Championship, technically, but the 2017 season, of course, the game that Tua came on and the heroics were born, Alabama winning 26-23. You could go to the SEC title game the year following, Alabama winning 35-28. That final lead was the only lead the Tide had in that SEC title game. Then last year during the regular season, Georgia led early, Alabama barnstormed them in the second half for a 41-24 victory. Yeah, that final score looks familiar. That was also the final result of the SEC championship game just over a month ago in Atlanta, Georgia. So what do you make of that, Joe Lisi? This is certainly something that Kirby Smart knows whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. So how does Kirby Smart and Georgia finally get past Nick Saban and Alabama? Well, you have to break tendency. I'm a big believer that in big spots, you cannot go status quo, right? Especially with Nick Saban and the offensive staff of Bill O'Brien. They game plan better than anybody in terms mm. of big ball games, right? Whatever you try to take away, they say, no problem. We can change our offense and our offense of identity in a heartbeat. Just look at what they did against Cincinnati. You know, people thought yeah. that they would not run the football with Brian Robinson. They had their worst rushing yards per carry since prior to 2009 and they ran it down Cincinnati's throat for 300 plus yards and a school record for Brian Robinson in terms of 206 yards on the ground so that's the difference in terms of what Alabama does I think if you're Georgia you need to be aggressive in terms of first and second downs throwing the football but that doesn't mean chucking it 40 or 50 times in this matchup once you loosen up the front seven of Alabama then you run the football with Zamir White and James Cook and then you could utilize the screen game to neutralize the front seven of Alabama and then open up big plays maybe in terms of those wide receivers of George Pickens and Jermaine Burton but again I think it has to mirror that first national championship game Ben 26-23 remember for much of that game it was a methodical ugly low scoring type yeah. of affair I think that's what we see in Indianapolis Monday night yeah, certainly so, and that would benefit Georgia because, again, one of the points that Joe brought up earlier in the SEC championship game, when there were so many question marks around the Crimson Tide's offensive line, Georgia did not sack Bryce Young. In fact, Alabama sacked Stetson Bennett three times. Alabama, the fifth-best sack percentage in all of the country. Georgia, number 11. And this is the tale of the tape 
between the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide. Alabama ranked first in the country, eight and six against the number this year. Their scoring offense is top five, averaging over 41 points per game, or just about at that number. The scoring defense for Alabama, 14th best in the country, just shy of 20 points per game allowed to their opponents. Now, this is where we dive into Georgia. An ATS record of 9-5 and five this year, a favorite in all but one game. That was the opener against Clemson. The scoring offense, Joe, for Georgia, not too shabby either, nearly 38 points per game in the best scoring defense in college football. Despite the 41 points that Alabama put up in the SEC championship game, Georgia still allowing less than 10 points per game on average to their opponent. If Georgia is going to win the national championship game, Alabama can't score 41. I don't know if Alabama can even score 24. We will break down this game more on the other side of the break. The early leans you need to know from Joe Lisi himself heading into Monday night in the national championship between Alabama and Georgia. Bama looks for their second straight. Georgia looks to finally get past the Crimson Tide. More of this breakdown up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. College football playoff national championship game is just a few days away. Monday night, the last hurrah of this college football season. Number one, Alabama, and number three, Georgia. In Indianapolis, and right here on the final football Friday of the college football season, on the morning after on SportsGrid, we break it all down because there is a lot to get to here. A deep dive for the CFP national championship to get you set as we get ready for Monday night right here on the grid in Sirius XM channel 159. Who better to be here with me, Ben Stevens, than Sports Grid's college football analyst, Joe Lisi. So, Lisi, let's get some Lisi's leans for the college football playoff national title game. We know the odds are out. Alabama, a three-point underdog once again. The second time this year, Bama has been a dog. The third time in the past five years, just the fourth time in the past 12 seasons. So Georgia laying three, the over under 52 and a half. You told us before the break, you lean Georgia being able to cover that number and win a national championship. But outside of that, Joe, we have some props up on the FanDuel Sportsbook already. The full gamut that we can expect for Monday night's national championship game between the Tide and the Dogs. So first, let's look at the terrific Tide. The star players and the prompts you need to know for Alabama. Bryce Young's passing yards prop has come down slightly from just about 24 hours ago. Is it 313 and a hook? Now it is at 309 and a half. Brian Robinson Jr., who set an Alabama record in the CFP semifinal for 204 rushing yards, his rushing yards prop only 65 and a half. We'll explain why in just a couple of moments. And Jamison Williams, of course, who had 184 receiving yards in the SEC title game against Georgia. His receiving yards prop is at 115 and a hook. So, Joe, whether it's any of those three or another Crimson Tide player that catches your eye on the FanDuel Sportsbook, what do you like for Monday night's national title game? Yeah, so if I'm going for the under, I'm going under Bryce Young, 313 and a half, because, again, the defensive game plan for me, if I'm Georgia, I play a lot of zone. I, I force them to work down the field 
with short throws, little dink and dunks. I'm not giving up chunk plays to Jamison Williams and Bryce Young in that offensive attack, right? So I'm going under 313.5 for Young. I'm going under 115.5 for Jamison Williams. If I'm Kirby Smart, I allow another player to beat me over the top. I'm not allowing their star wide receiver. Just the way Devontae Smith abused Ohio State last year in the first half, I am not allowing that to happen if I'm the Georgia Bulldogs. So I'm going under their two-star players. I might go over with Brian Robinson in terms of the run game because that's the one thing I think both teams will look to establish in a national championship game, especially early. So I think Robinson does have a little momentum based off of last week. Offensive line has continuity going over Brian Robinson, 65 and a half. And then I look at the secondary players. If you want to play a player in terms of the touchdown props, remember Slade Bolden. He's the more uh, Mm. slot wide receiver. He is the Julian Edelman type of that offensive scheme. Did step up last week in terms of some big plays. Also stepped up in the national championship game last year against Ohio State with a touchdown. Almost had two. He's positive money in this assessment, in this ballgame against Georgia. And I also like Billingsley. He's a player I think that you can utilize, especially on mismatches, on nickelbacks and linebackers. Look for Billingsley to potentially score a touchdown for the Alabama offense. Slade Bolden to find the end zone for the Tide, plus 195 on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. If you remember the opening offensive possession just a week ago on New Year's Eve in the college football playoff semifinal between Alabama and Cincinnati, the Tide ran the ball 10 straight times to get them deep into Cincinnati territory. The first and only pass of that opening offensive drive for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Bryce Young, Slade Bolden, touchdown. Plus 195 is Bolden right now to find the end zone one more time in the national championship game. So, Joe, let's break down these props a little bit here because Bryce Young, you see, down by four yards now from last night at 313.5, currently 309.5 passing on the FanDuel Sportsbook. In the SEC championship game against Georgia, 26 of 44, 421 yards through the air and three passing scores. It was the highlight performance to seal the deal for the Heisman Trophy. Now, Bryce Bryce Young has gone over this number of 309 and a hook seven of the 13 games this year prior to the college football playoff semifinal for Alabama. He's averaging nearly 350 passing yards per game, but he's playing a Georgia defense that certainly has learned from their previous mistakes, you would think, in the SEC championship game. Still the ninth best passing defense in all of college football, only allowing 186 yards per game through the air, only gave up 237 to Michigan. And that ties me in to Brian Robinson Jr.'s rushing yards prop. Joe, you mentioned it. 26 carries, 204 yards, an Alabama single game record in a bowl outing. It would seem like an auto play to go over 65 and a half. It seems like that's no big deal for B-Rob Jr. However, that being said, as we know, Georgia, the top-scoring defense in the country, the third-best rushing defense in the country, only giving up just over 83 yards per game. So I still find it difficult for Brian Robinson Jr. to go over 65.5. He went under that number in the SEC championship game. We saw a change in offensive game plan, Joe, for Alabama last week against Cincinnati. When we were breaking down the matchup, it was all about the X's and O's of Jamison Williams on the outside versus Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. We didn't really break down Brian Robinson Jr. as much, and then Bill O'Brien said, oh, 
You're not talking about the run game? Let's stuff it down your throat for 204 yards with Brian Robinson Jr., 300-plus for Alabama as an offense overall. Yeah, that's a great point. And if you look at some key ball games that Alabama played this year, especially against Ole Miss, right, an explosive offense, what did they do? They ran it for much of the first half in that matchup. Brian Robinson yeah. had a two-touchdown performance in that ball game against Matt Corral as well. So it really comes down to what is Georgia going to take away? I think right now Georgia's obviously concerned about the run game, but I think they're more concerned about the passing game of Bryce Young. When he ripped your defense for 350 in terms of that first matchup, Kirby Smart has to take a step back and say, do I really, if they're going to beat me, are they going to beat me with the run game or are they going to beat me over the top where then that puts pressure on my quarterback, Stetson Bennett, to match Bryce Young score for score. And that's a bigger concern for the Georgia offense right now because you have a, a player in Stetson Bennett, yes, he's performed well, but in a big spot in critical ball games, especially against Alabama, go back to two games now, SEC Championship, go back to that ball game in Tuscaloosa, Stetson Bennett's 0 for 2 against Nick Saban's defense. That's the concern for Kirby Smart here, and that's why I lean to Brian Robinson in terms of that aspect, saying Kirby's going to take away the big chunk plays in the pass game, and then that maybe that opens up the run game for Brian Robinson in this matchup. And Robinson Jr. only 16 carries for 55 yards in that SEC championship game. And Georgia held Michigan in the CFP semifinal down at the Orange Bowl to only 91 rushing yards. And the Wolverines entered that game as the eighth best rushing offense in all of CFP, averaging more than 223 yards per game on the ground. That is how good Georgia can be. And that's why they want to play from a positive game script, relying on that defense. Also, just one final point. Jamison Williams is fantastic. He had 184 yards receiving in the SEC championship games and two touchdowns. But a prop of 115 and a hook is just wild. We saw it at 108 and a half for the CFP semifinal against Cincy. He went well under, still had a pretty good game, finishing with 62 receiving yards. Jamison Williams can be outstanding in the title game, having 11 grabs for 102 yards, and he's still going to go under a wild prop of 115 and a hook. I mean, they haven't even given Cooper Cup 115 and a half in the NFL. So just needed to make that point. By the way, Jamison Williams to find the end zone, the strongest odds right now at minus 165 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So Joe, from Alabama to Georgia, we look at some of their star player props right now. And the guy you mentioned first and foremost, Stetson Bennett, the quarterback for the dogs. His passing yards prop currently on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The updated number is 245 and a half. That's where Stetson Bennett stands entering the national championship game. We also have a couple of their running backs in contention. Samir White yesterday was 53 and a half. Now it's 50 and a half on the FanDuel Sportsbook. James Cook, the other running back, 43 in a hook for Georgia in terms of their player props for the national championship game. Then their leading wide receiver, a freshman tight end in Brock Bowers. His receiving yards prop at 74 and a hook right now, 75 and a half yesterday. Of those numbers, Joe, what stands out to you on Georgia's side of things? Well, if Stetson Bennett has to throw for 245 in this ballgame, they're in big trouble, Ben, because then that means yeah. that they're playing from behind. So I go under for Stetson Bennett, 245 uh, or 245 and a half in this ballgame. And, and the biggest thing is 
if Brock Powers gets 75 yards or more in this ballgame, they're going to win this matchup. That means that Nick Saban and that defense did not take away the security blanket for Stetson Bennett in this ballgame, and that's what Alabama does better than anybody. So I don't like over 75 for Brock Bowers, even though he broke out against the Michigan Wolverines secondary last week. I like over for Zamir White. Zamir White's the heavier of the two backs in terms of his, he is that tall, girly type of running back. Even though he wears number three, he's elusive, has great vision, but he's the between-the-tackles runner that can really wear down the Alabama front seven as opposed to James Cook. And then I'll throw a wide receiver out there that you didn't have up on the board. And I love it because that's that's what you need in terms of the national championship game. My guy, George right. Pickens, only had one reception for nine yards against Michigan. He was the forgotten man. When you saw Jackson step up, you saw Bowers step up. You saw Jermaine Burton with a big touchdown reception. George Pickens, to me, 38 and a half receiving yards. I think he surpasses that. He had... 41, uh, 47 yards receiving in the SEC championship. He's a big playmaker, 6'3", around 220 pounds. He's the A.J. Green. That type of body type gets catches the football at its highest point. In this matchup, George Pickens could break out with a huge performance in the passing game and at plus 120 on the FanDuel Sportsbook to score a touchdown, baby. He's getting my money mm. in this national championship game. Didn't do much receiving in that game against Michigan in the CFP semifinal, but did lay the wood yes. on quite a block and then talked the little trash to the Michigan sideline. <laughs> All things we love in college football. Stetson Bennett, as we mentioned, 245 and a hook for his passing yards prop. He has now got over that number in three straight games. The regular season finale against Georgia Tech, the SEC title against Alabama, and the CFP semi against Michigan. He threw for 345 yards the first time against Alabama, but in a losing effort, as Joe mentioned, 313 yards last week against Michigan. If there is a weakness for Alabama, and I say that with a lot of hesitation, they are the 51st passing defense in all of college football, allowing nearly 221 passing yards per game. Not a big number, but still 51st in the country. So that ties me to Brock Bowers. 74 and a hook for his receiving yards prop. Only gone over that four times in 14 games in his freshman campaign for Georgia. But every time he went over 74 and a half, he's had at least 100 receiving yards. But he's also scored a touchdown in four straight for the Dogs. Six touchdowns total in the last four games. There's a reason why... His number to find the end zone has gotten stronger and stronger throughout this week. He was minus 105 in the initial anytime touchdown score prop. Now, minus 130. A little bit more juice than I love to lay on a prop, especially as random as finding the end zone. But Brock Bauer should be a focus for Georgia and that offense come Monday night in the college football playoff national championship. One final Jack Weinberger cap of the college football year is up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our number two of the morning after on this final football Friday 
of the college football season right here on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 159. I am Ben Stevens alongside Joe Lisi to round out our number two. We have been previewing and handicapping the college football playoff national championship game, which comes Monday night in Indianapolis between number one Alabama and number three Georgia. Right now, the Bulldogs are the favorite, making Alabama the underdogs for the, S- or for the national championship game. Georgia laying three points, the over-under 52.5. But, Joe, as we know, as we round out most football Fridays as it pertains to college football, our associate producer and former intern here on TMA, Jack Weinberger, who handicaps college football games like nobody else out there, had to finish off this year with one final jack cap for the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. So here we go. Jack, like most of us, off to a good start on his New Year's resolutions, hitting the gym, trying to get swole out there for 2022. As he finishes off most of his workouts, Joe, he ends it with a smoothie. He stops by the smoothie bar, grabs a smoothie. Normally goes strawberry and banana. But yesterday, after a great leg day in the gym, he's leaving said gym and decides to switch it up. He gets a peach smoothie. Absolutely adores it. Says it's his favorite smoothie flavor he has ever had. Maybe one of the best smoothies he's ever tasted. Georgia is the peach state. No way Alabama Beats Kirby Smart and the Dogs for a second time in a month. Jack says Georgia minus three and hammer it. Joe Lisi, what do you make of the final Jack cap of the year? Actually love it. Finally, we're on the same side here. I love it. How about this? I'll take it a step further. Georgia on the alternate spread of FanDuel minus seven and a half plus 180. Book it for Lisi. Wow. Book it for Lisi. Also book it for Jack Weinberger. He said Georgia in a blowout. He'll join you. With that plus money, Joe Lisi, our Sports Grid CFB analyst, the host of College Football Today each and every Saturday. Joe, thank you so much and have a wonderful weekend. You too. Love the show. Thank you so much, Joe. We love having you on. Happy hour, hour number three. Up next here on TMA.